congratulations, by the way, on the award, the Critics Film Award. That's pretty cool. High five. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that one surprised. I get maybe it's because of the the cash aspect of it, but it's it's someone gotten the most kind of like <laughs> media attention. Mm -hmm. Is everybody bugging you for lunch now? <laughs> oh, all, all I'm doing is buying people meals these oh, days. Okay. <laughs> oh, really? All right. <laughs> I got to buy Ethan dinner later. Oh, man. Okay. So we'll see how this goes, too. Maybe I can crash the dinner, too, and get a free meal out of this. <laughs> Yo, welcome to my summer lair. I'm your host, Sammy, the Pete Best of BTS. Long story. Yunnan. For this episode, welcome writer and director Anthony Shim and actor Ethan Hong, star of the emotionally devastating film Rice Boy Sleeps. Rice Boy Sleeps is a touching and heart-wrenching exploration of the trauma of immigrating to a new country. How do you fit in when you just don't belong? This is the difficult challenge a single mother and her son face as they try to fit into Canada. It's 1990 in British Columbia and a mother with her son have relocated from Korea to Canada. Now they must navigate a variety of intimidating challenges. She endures a difficult, lonely job rife with the racist and sexist comments of her colleagues. All for a better life here. The son is bullied at school despite adopting a white name. Together they're fighting for acceptance and respect, dignity. This time it's Korean, but it really could be any culture. There's the classic scene of the stinky ethnic lunch at school when all the other students have peanut butter and jam sandwiches. There's a hard ethnic name to pronounce, especially for white people. There's a tired single mom who sadly has limited options contending almost daily with the frustration and the isolation. It all aches. All this and more is happening in Rice Boy Sleep's a tender reflection on the struggles and stress of immigration. As the director, Anthony Shim, lets the camera linger in many scenes, giving it an observational feel and a deep engagement with the characters. It feels like you're watching sports, only the team is a single mom and her son who are pushing through setbacks, and it can be difficult to watch or manufacture hope. You can relate, even if you were born here. Here's my conversation with Anthony and Ethan, where we cover many of the heartbreaking yet remarkable moments in Rice Boy Sleeps. Oh, but before we touch upon those elements, we gotta start with something fun. What is your favorite Korean food? Sound, the final frontier. My summer lair is an enterprise, a pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now here is your host, Sammy Yunan. Since there are two of you, I'm going to have you introduce yourselves so people can hear and identify your voice. Introduce yourself, tell me your name, and tell me your favorite Korean food. <laughs> oh, man. Hold on. Let me think. I can think about this one real quick. This uh, is a hard one right off the bat. Yeah, I, this, this, oh, man, they caught me, caught me off guard here. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite Korean food. Um... I mean, it's, hi, this is Anthony Shim, mm -hmm. and my favorite Korean food is is kimchi, but it's when it's just done, like, fresh. It's not fermented. Okay. So, it's almost like a salad. Mm -hmm. it's, it is so basic, but that's, I mean, that's just, that's the first thing 
I ask my mom to make mm-hmm. when I, I see her. Are you on the spicier side or the sweeter side? I I go as spicy as can be. My gut is completely ruined. Oh, nice. Well done. All right. Um, yeah, from the spicy food I've eaten, but I, I love spicy food, yeah. All right. So that's Anthony and that's kimchi. Uh, hi, I'm Ethan Huang, and my favorite uh, Korean food is probably Puyang Naemyeon. It's a spicy cold noodle broth. Mm-hmm. It's really good, but it's, I, it's my favorite. Yeah. I can vouch for Ethan that this is indeed his favorite meal because that's like all he ever wants to eat. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I brought up the food because Rice Boy Sleeps opens in 1990, and there's this like awkward Korean kid in British Columbia. He's in grade one. He's surrounded by mostly white kids in his class. And then he's at school and he's eating the ethnic food for lunch. And one of the kids in class says, Ew, it smells like farts. Right? And I'm guessing that either happened to you, Anthony, or somebody that you know. Like, there's always that shame of the stinky ethnic lunch experience for minorities. Yeah. It, I mean, it was exactly that. Um, it's uh, what the boy's eating is uh, kimbap, which is... I mean, just a maki roll, essentially. It's, mm-hmm. it's rice with various vegetables and seaweed. The, it's a popular dish, even in North America. Mm-hmm. But back then, you know, the average kid, I mean, not their fault, um, mm-hmm. but the average kid on Vancouver Island didn't know what seaweed was. Um, didn't know what, you know, like pickled daikon was. Mm-hmm. And so just everything about this smell and the appearance of it was was foreign and and so yeah it was it was not it was not greeted warmly in the classroom <laughs> yeah how do you work with actors on a movie like this are they serving as ethnic consultants and bringing those kinds of experiences to the the film and to the scenes or like are you using reference films or reference music to convey what you're going for as a director what's well, combination um Obviously, Yoon, who played So Young in the film, and Ethan and Noel. I mean, they 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 brought so much to the table uh, in regards to their own experiences, their own insight, and their opinions. But also just their, you know, what they know of the character's journey. Yoon brought so much insight about Korean culture and the history mm-hmm. that I I didn't even know. Um, but then on top of it, you know, yes, I did share um, because Ethan was not born in the 80s. <laughs> um, he, you know, he had to do some research on 90s references. And mm-hmm. so there were some films and music that, you know, that was shared, um, which I'll let, I'll let Ethan speak on that more. Yeah. How was that experience, Ethan? I mean, yeah, Anthony was like, you know, so great to work with. He, um he allowed us to be flexible and, 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 you know, we didn't always have to go with, uh, with what was said on the script, you know, it was more of just, you know, what you're actually feeling, you know, how, how it comes to you and then just play with that. And, you know, a lot of the times I think that um, the scene went towards the script anyway, because it was so, you know, it was so close to me and, and, and a lot of those experiences I've been through as well. Um, I, it's not just like Asian kids growing up in, in the nineties, it's also Asian kids growing up now. Um, and you know, or any, any ethnic or any, any, any immigrant, those are all the, uh, the, the regular things that they face every day. And, um, yeah, it was, you know, to tell this story and to play this character, you know, it's, I never realized how many people I was actually 
going to relate to, going to connect to, um, up to the release. And, uh, but yeah, they, you know, the experience has been eye, eye, eye opening for me and, uh, it's, it's changed my life and, and my opinions on a lot of things. That connection that you're talking about, where you said you were surprised at how it connected with a lot of people. Part of that is yeah. because the camera is very observational. It's isolated, just like the, the immigrants themselves. So it's like, how did you find that as an actor, Ethan? Like those experiences, those longer takes, there's a lot more space for you to kind of operate. And it's almost more like you're making a play rather than a film, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 It's because uh, <laughs> I'm, I'll, you know, as an actor, you're used to, you know, taking, you know, getting as many angles as possible and coverage and coverage and everything. And, and this, this was, you know, we, we, we filmed on real 16 millimeter film and this is like the first time I had ever done that. And we were doing like two minute takes and, you know, it was, it was, it used a lot of pressure and, um, but I knew it, I, I just feel like the, the, the longer takes did help in my performance because, you know, it, it put me in the, the, my character's shoes. It really put me in that situation. It really made me feel like I was there. Mm-hmm. You know, subconsciously as an actor, when you when you do a scene, you know it's going to end, right? You know there's going to be an ending to that scene. This is where the script ends. Whereas this sort of, because it was so long, I it, it almost like I, I got lost in it. And not necessarily lost in it, but I was so immersed into it. It, it felt real to me. Yes. And it took me back all the all the experiences I had mm-hmm. um, that, uh, to the to the scenes. Was it, what prompted that direction, Anthony, to do those longer takes like that? Well, my my background is uh, as a theater director, and I, and I taught actors for a long time. And um, making this film, I figured, well, it starts with the writing, right? I mean, the writing has to support that style of direction, mm-hmm. and I found that the way I wrote scenes, it was very influenced by the plays I've grown up loving and studying and working on. And so um, my writing tends to, you know, kind of play itself out in, in real time and like a play often. And, and I figured, you know, if this, this might be the last movie I ever get to make. And so if I'm going to, if that's the case, uh, you know, every filmmaker, indie filmmaker, you know, they're looking for that way to, you know, to stand out in some way because it's so competitive. There are so many great indie films that get made mm-hmm. and so many of them are still light of day. And so I figured, you know, I, I should really lean into the things that I feel that are my strengths and, 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 you know, not try and do the things that I'm not, I'm not familiar with. And so um, I, I figured, okay, well, let's really make it about the performances. Let's get the best performances I can and let's, uh, let's depend on my strengths, which are blocking actors. Mm-hmm. And so, so we rehearsed it like a play, you know, we, we, Ethan came into Vancouver a few weeks early, uh, same with Yoon and, and, and we worked in a, in, in a space that was essentially a theater rehearsal space. It's a rehearsal space. Um, it was a rehearsal space of an opera house, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. And so we, uh, we just, we, we, we mapped out the room with, the same dimensions as the as the spaces that we were shooting in and and we worked through it rehearsed um had our dp come in and we'd work out the 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 camera blocking with the actors and so that we could get on the day and for the actors that there's no surprises they know what we're doing Mm -hmm. and it's a matter of them doing their their preparation on their own time to show up 
and give the best performance they can. And I got to say, it was, it was, there were a lot of difficult challenges in making this film that felt impossible. But when it comes to the, the, the actual making of it, as in like the shooting of the film, that the, the directing the actors, that was the easiest part. Because it was all laid out. Because it was because everybody knew their roles. Everybody was well prepared and and we were all on the same page. And so it was just the execution part of it. And um we didn't cheat the process. That's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we did our we did our jobs um leading up to the day of the shoot, because we also just didn't have the time or the money to fuck around on the on stead. Mm-hmm. So so the shoot itself was was so great and yeah we did you know five minute long scenes in one mm-hmm. take mm-hmm. but it was the most thrilling mm-hmm. five minutes every minute that goes by the stakes get higher right you know and there's a tension that builds on you know within the actors and, and the room that is so palpable and and all that stuff is just i mean if for anyone who loves live performance like that's the that's the stuff that you know, gets my juices flowing. That's why I said the camera is very observational. Yes, it's dealing with the the son or the son and the mom, and they're both immigrants and trying to navigate this Canadian culture. But at the same time, you are like kind of observing very via the camera these actors like doing these longer takes, right? And I know like that pressure that you're talking about, right? Where like, you know, they have the space to operate, but it's a high wire act, right? Anything could like happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I want to circle back to what you said about the writing. And I'm curious about the subtle like use of popular culture. It kind of shows up here and there throughout the film. Before David, as a little kid, he wanted to change his name to a white name. Uh, he insisted on Michael Jordan. Uh, there's another scene where like he's listening to like uh, Walkman and he's listening to some rap music. But for the most part, popular culture doesn't really kind of show up in, in Rice Boy Sleep. So I'm wondering, was that a conscious choice? Because like that sometimes too is another like cultural thing that has to be navigated right it's not just like this canadian culture with like maple syrup and hockey and then you have this korean culture but now you have this like like pop culture as well that has to be navigated was that a conscious choice i'm just curious why there was a lack of pop culture uh two reasons mm-hmm. one we couldn't afford the license <laughs> to get things licensed mm-hmm. we didn't have the money for things but then two i also just didn't want it to feel like you know, just 90s, you know, like Club Monaco logo and, you know, uh, you know, um, popular 90s music constantly blasting. You know, I, I wanted because I find that because they're so. You know, those those references are so iconic mm-hmm. and everybody knows it. And what it does is it makes people go, oh, that's the 90s that. You know, and it's really great in that sense on one hand, but I felt like, you know what, we can, we can, can, I I feel like there's way, there's, this film is going to be just fine in making people believe that this is the nineties. I think there's a lot of other things that are going on visually. Mm -hmm. I mean, no, no one's going to forget that this movie is in the nineties. And also what I find that what happens is that, you know, if you see or hear something that is so iconic, so, so, um, uh, um, so, um, what's the word? Um, uh, like connecting. Classic back? Yeah. Yeah. Like slang yeah. or something. 
everybody has a personal connection to that. Mm-hmm. And it become and that becomes almost overpowering than what's what's really going on, on the screen itself. It's almost a distraction. Yes. So I didn't really want to have any of those distractions. I didn't want people suddenly giggling mm-hmm. because like, oh my God, look at that outfit or look at that mm-hmm. poster, you know. It reminds me of X, Y, and Z that happened to me. Well, yeah. that your your memory of that mm-hmm. shirt or that music is not what I want you to be thinking or feeling in this moment. I want you to go on the journey of these care of these characters. Um, and so, you know, from early on, we just said, let's not make this just a, you know, let's not make that the goal to just have a bunch of 90s references and 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 let it be in this, you know, a, a trip down memory lane for the for the average audience member who lived through that time. Yeah, that makes sense. And the the journey of the character is like for you, Ethan, I'm assuming this wasn't a wig and you went blonde for the movie. Like, yes. Did people connect with you differently when you went blonde or did they give you a hard time? Or like, like, cause obviously you're off in life, not always on the film set. So like, was, how were you perceived uh, with the, with the blonde hair? You know, <laughs> I, people didn't really actually like, I don't know. It was only until I went back to school, like, cause we, we filmed in Vancouver and then there's like a month period where uh, I just went back to Toronto. Um, and then a month later we had to go to Korea. But in that month when I went back, my hair was blonde. I don't know. All my friends were just like, why is your hair blonde? Mm-hmm. You know, like, why, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and um, I told them, you know, I'm, I'm doing this for, for a role. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, for me, I feel like, the blonde hair was a little more like towards what I was thinking about myself, you know, just like, Oh, like now I see why I wouldn't do this. And it just was like, I don't really, not that it didn't, I don't know. I don't know if it didn't look good, but (laughs) to me, I didn't really like the blonde hair. Um, And also my hair was like really dead at that point. I was doing like, uh, you know, I do perms because my hair is like really straight. Mm -hmm. So I have perm. And then I was like, perming my hair, doing this, and then all of a sudden I had to bleach it like three times in Vancouver. <laughs> it was like mm-hmm. falling out. But um, yeah, like it was, um, you know, it was, it was interesting because like a lot of people I think didn't really look at me differently. They just saw me as like, um, like, like, uh, oh, are you actually doing this for a role? You know? And um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's I don't know. I, I I don't really see the hair thing all that important. Um, or like all that much of a big thing. Uh, it's, it supports the character, you know, in, in terms of like how he wanted to fit in and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it was essential to the story. But I, I you know, I, I would do it for. I I do it again. Yeah, you yeah. guys both went into like film as actors. Anthony as a director. Like, was that hard in terms of being a minority? Like. Are you going against the grain of your own culture or does the fact that Korea has a robust film industry make it easier? Like I'm Egyptian, my cultural professional standards are like engineer and pharmacist, right? Like we don't really do podcasting or we don't really have a lot of actors and things like that. Like, so were you guys going against the grain or was this kind of like an accepted cultural path to make movies? Well, we are of two different generations, first of all. So, uh, I think there is a difference, um, just like I know from myself to the previous generation, mm-hmm. there's a really big difference in the way people viewed like what is an, what is a 
an acceptable profession for a, a an Asian um, person living in North America. Um, and so at least for me, it was the really the only professions that made parents proud were to be a doctor, a lawyer, you know, the classics. Yeah. An accountant, um, all the jobs that I would probably die doing, uh, <laughs> that's just not for me. And, um, when I wanted to become an actor, my parents were vehemently opposed to it. Um, but they also knew that I, I, when I set my mind to something, I worked really, really hard and they could see that, Oh, this isn't just some like silly idea of, you know, some kids saying, Oh, I want to be a movie star. Mm-hmm. They, they recognized that it wasn't just that it was, you know, I genuinely loved the craft of acting and storytelling. And I, and I was devote, I devoted myself to it entirely. Um, and they realized, well, there's nothing they can say that's going to change my mind. So they might as well. And they could see that I was also, you know, I wasn't half bad at it. <laughs> so they, um, they figured, yeah. I mean, if I, if I just completely sucked, mm-hmm. like I, I, I think my parents would have, you know, just followed me around and made sure that I wasn't doing that and mm-hmm. went back to school. But you no, know, I think they figured they knew me well enough to go. We might as well support him mm-hmm. because he's going to do it anyway. Um, and they weren't. My mom has been, you know, to this day, she is one of my biggest supporters and, and, and um, cheerleaders. And, um, but also like brutally honest, if if it's if it's not if it's not work like if it's not good what I'm doing she'll you know she'll say it's not so good this time, <laughs> but what it is she'll yeah. also tell them right, uh, which is kind of really, helpful. It is, you know I don't want my family just being like oh everything you do is great because you're my family like I don't mm-hmm. want that I don't I, yeah. I don't need that what I need is honest feedback from the people that love me uh, and my family is really great for that. Mm-hmm. What about you, Ethan? Was that a strange choice to go into acting? Um, you know what? Um, well, acting, acting, kind of, yeah, was it was it was it was a little strange. It, it kind of came to me. Um, I was originally, originally, my family's pushing me in sports and you know school and stuff, and I played you know hockey, competitive hockey for almost like ten years. Um, and I remember I, when I got into acting, it was it was, uh, um. My dad's one of one of his good friends was was doing a movie, a small production, um, and uh, he needed a younger version uh, for his lead, and so he asked me to do it. I, I was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. I, you know, why not? Why not? Um, so I I did the role, and uh, you know, it was it was a pretty long script, especially when for, at that age, it was pretty long. Mm-hmm. But I memorized the whole thing, and I remember I I, I was like so like. It felt so fun. I, I feel like it was just so run. There's there's no pressure. There was nothing there, and it was just like I was just doing this because I, I wanted to do it. And um, I ended up getting picked up by his agent, and you know she sent me a couple auditions, and then I started you know booking stuff. And uh, you know um, I was still playing hockey at the time, and I remember my parents came to me and they were like, "Hey, look, you can't do both. You can't play hockey. You can't go to school, and you can't." You can't like, you know, school, obviously school is a priority for them still. Uh, you know, I mean, they take it really seriously and, you know, they, they tell they you know, they, they support me all the way. 
they say, you know, you do what you want to do, but make sure you have a, you know, backup plan if things don't work. Cause you got to be realistic. And, you know, I understand that, but, um, you know, with the hockey thing, it was, it was so, I, I don't really think I loved hockey all that much. I feel like, you know, the, the whole environment was, was so toxic, even though I love playing hockey outside of the competitiveness, you know, it's my favorite thing, favorite hobby to do, but I just feel like things were, were not going in that direction. Uh, I remember I booked, uh, it was that one week I booked umbrella Academy mm-hmm. on Netflix for that same week. I broke my arm playing hockey. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's your Then choice. I, yeah. I was stuck. I was like, Oh, okay. I can't play hockey. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I can go on set with a broken arm. Uh, but luckily like I, it was just in time where my arm healed again and then I could, I could shoot a scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember it was that moment. I was like, okay, I can't play this sport anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to stick to acting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I feel like a lot, a lot of times in my life, I, I felt like I, you know, I, I'm not really passionate about things. I don't really, you know, it's, it's, it's not a good thing, but I, I, I find that I get bored easily. Um, I don't know why, but, uh, I think I get it from my mom because my mom tells me that she, had, mm-hmm. she doesn't really either. But, um, remember when I did, such an intimate project like Anthony's it, it felt I had a it felt like I had a sense of purpose and like I was so immersed into I, I felt like I was having so much fun but I wasn't thinking about the fun I just felt like oh, I have to do this I have to do this and I remember that one month after Vancouver and, and that, that 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 whole time in between when we wrapped in Korea to to TIFF I, I felt so, so lost because I was like Like, I, you know, I want to be back on set. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even care. Nothing. I'll do it. And, um, you know, I like after that, I, you know, I started taking auditions more seriously. I started doing all this stuff. I started, you know, writing my own stuff. And it's just so, it's been so fun. And I feel like that's the big thing for me because a lot of times, you know, it won't feel like work, you know, school will feel like work and stuff like that. But acting is something where I go to and it's, it's, it's like a, you know, my, my next favorite hobby and, And I just do that to, you know, relieve stress or, or, or do all that stuff. And yeah, you know, I feel, I feel like it's, it's really coming to me. And I feel so lucky to have that, you know, mm-hmm. to myself. Yeah. By the way, before we wrap up about uh, Umbrella Academy, are you going to perhaps show up again in another alternative timeline or different universe or anything? Are you allowed to say anything? Yeah, we, we're, we're doing the, we're shooting the fourth season. Uh, they brought us back. I don't think. I didn't sign an NDA or anything, okay. so I could say, yeah, we're, we're, we're back. The young cast is back, and um, yeah, we, we, I think we have to film again soon, mm-hmm. but yeah, this is the last season, so. Yeah, I know, sad to see it go. So, and yeah. speaking of sadness, Antti, I want to go back to you. Like, since you were the writer of Rice Sadness, Bicycle, that could be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I, I want to know, like, how did you feel, like, after you finished rice boy sleeps because like you wrote this you shot it in a lot of like areas and places like that where you grew up in vancouver or around bc area like how do you feel about your childhood experiences and growing up like now that you finished this like are you more at peace with them is there any sort of sadness is there any sort of like i don't know what the emotion is that you feel after you've kind of processed and kind of revisited these memories well i mean i I think it's just an I think it's an ongoing process mm-hmm. to 
I mean, why does anyone look back on their own past and try to make sense of it and try to understand it? It's, I, mean, I think it's ultimately to try and just better understand who I am today. Um, and by no means do I feel like, oh, because I made this movie that, you know, I feel completely whole as an individual mm-hmm. today. Um, Nobody gets cured from therapy. Exactly. Um, I have certainly learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I have come to peace with certain things that I and, and come to understand um, certain things about my past and um, things I experienced. Um, I know what the I know what, where it lives in me now. I know how I sit with it. Um, but actually, what it's done is it's actually kind of it opened up new questions about my life, my family, my identity, uh, being a, being what it means to be a, a man mm-hmm. in this society today, what it, what it means to be a, a, a Korean man who lives in two different countries and speaks two languages and, you know, trying to come to, ter- trying to better understand what that all means. And, um, and so, no, there's like, there's no sadness. Mm-hmm. It's, of course there's you know there's there are aspects of my past that i that i you know that i miss um that i wish you know aspects of it that i want to experience again but but that's life you know it's it's yeah just as much there's you know um there's sorrow and melancholy looking back on the past is equal amounts of joy and gratitude you know um so no it's 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 been wonderful but i am by no means a healed man i am (laughs) (laughs) i've got a long ways to go and i'll continue to ask these questions about myself and about our community our society and Mm -hmm. um and i just happen to do it through writing and making films i guess I know we're just celebrating this one, but what are you working on next or what can you share about what's upcoming for you? Um, I can't really talk about the details yet, but there are a couple of different films that I've been working on. One is, uh, it's an original screenplay that I've been working on, that I started working on prior to TIFF because I figured, you know, if the film just bombs, I'll have to (laughs) get get going on the next one. but uh, yeah, I haven't had a ton of time to write in the last six months. But um, there's there is a script that I've been working on, which is a which is a, a film that is set in Chinatown on the West Coast during the pandemic era, and it touches on um, violence towards Asian Asian Americans, Asian Canadian. Mm, okay. So there's that, um, and then there's a there's a novel that I'm adapting. Um, Interesting. Okay. So I'm working on that, which, and, and that's also about an, um, a Korean American protagonist mm-hmm. deals with certain similar themes, um, but very different at the same time. Um, I'm not trying to repeat the same thing, uh, but it, yeah, there are some obvious similarities. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a film that's a, it's, it's a much bigger scale than Rice Boy Sleeps and um, it'll present all types of new challenges. Yeah, it sounds like you don't want to put out a best of hits kind of album. You want to write new music constantly. Yeah, for sure. But I'm, you know, but I'm not going to, you know, it's not going to be like when Neil Young released that like weird 80s rock album, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> so 
it'll still be familiar, familiar territory to mm-hmm. like what it is that, you know, like, like Rice Boy Sleeps, the, the, the questions and the themes that I'm fascinated by and dynamics that I, that I want to continue to explore. Mm-hmm. So, All right. And last question. This is for both of you. Uh, sometimes when you're working on a film, you're not really sure like how the audience is going to connect with the scenes that you're making and the characters you're developing and stuff like this. Were you surprised? Were you happy? Were you excited? What was the kind of vibe or emotion that people have really embraced this film by? Like, Because it's kind of an unusual film. It's not something that you would normally think that people would gravitate towards, but people really connected with it. People really liked it. So were you surprised or were you excited? I guess we can start with you, Ethan, in terms of like how the audience received this film. I was shocked. You know, it was so, so crazy because, uh, you know, most of my Asian friends don't even watch movies because there's no Asian people in it, mm-hmm. right? Like this Asian movie at the time was like Crazy Rich Asians, you know, that doesn't yeah. really, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, but yeah, when they watched this, they were all like, oh my God, like that literally happened to me. That literally happened to me. Like, oh my God, that, that scene like that, that was so, you know, like compelling to me. And, you know, it, it, it makes me really happy to, to see that people, um, not that we share like traumatic experiences, but you know, the fact that we can connect on these things and, and the fact that we have a sense of, um, you know, community, mm-hmm. um, now that we have a sense of community in this, you know, in this, uh, in, you know, in film, you know, it's such a big thing to me and, um, yeah, it was, it's exciting. And, um, you know, there's more people, more and more and more people that I'm, that I'm seeing that are going to watch it and, and they're all so excited to see it. Yeah. Cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, for me, I mean, I feel I feel all of the above, but you know, one of the main things I that I do feel is a sense of relief. Um, the hope and the goal was that um, people who experienced similar things growing up in North America or Europe or or anyone who is displaced, um, that you know, and in particular, Asian people in North America, um, and. And even more specifically, Korean people in North America. I, I wanted to make a film for those people to be able to watch this and go, okay, this film has represented and depicted my experience or, or, or my community in an honest, accurate, intelligent way. Mm-hmm. That was the hope. And, and, and I feel like we've accomplished that. Um, and so in that, I feel like nothing would have shattered me more than, you know, our own community that this film is sort of inspired by and based on, you know, rejected it. (laughs) I don't know how it could bounce back from that one. Yeah. Well, thankfully they did embrace it and like connect with it. So well done. So both of you, thank you so much for like hanging out and congratulations on the film too. It's like winning awards. It's like uh, people are loving it. Like I said, so high five to you guys, like for all the work you guys did. Thank you. Thank you, Sammy. Thank you, Sammy. Thank you. Yo, that was writer and director Anthony Shim and actor Ethan Hong, both star in the emotionally stirring film Rice Boy Sleeps. I'm Sammy, host of My Summer Lair. Rice Boy Sleeps captures well the stress of immigration. Canada has always prided itself on its rampant multiculturalism, which can be misdirection. Just go to Canada and you can be easily accepted. That's, that's not entirely true. 
it is still a rough transition. Talk to immigrants who came to Canada from like the 60s to even the 90s. They had weird names that were hard to pronounce for white co-workers. Some who were doctors or engineers back home were told their education was worthless here. They basically had to start all over. Food. Food it was difficult to source or get just the right ingredients for their ethnic food. Even something as simple as being a vegetarian. You just didn't have a lot of options in the 80s and 90s. As difficult as it was, undaunted immigrants kept coming to Canada. Some meeting snow for the first time. My apologies. Eventually, it gets easier. Now you can be a vegetarian, either because of religious reasons or personal choice, and you've got so many options for eating out or staying at home. Knowing it's easy now creates the lie it was always easy. Rice Boy Sleeps rejects the lie. It wasn't easy. It was hard. It's like glossing over a four-year university degree with a handful of stories about parties and spring break road trips. What about all those hours in the library studying? Exam stress, obtuse professors, which is the value Rice Boy Sleeps eagerly provides. It exposes the lie and shows you a window of how hard it was. It's an incredibly moving movie with many moments you can relate to. Rice Boy Sleeps is playing at a cinema near you. If you're in the mood for something different without all of that CGI blowing up stuff, check it out. And now I my summer layer PSA. If you enjoyed this conversation, some good news. My pal Sammy newsletter. Let us extend the conversation. And I know you think of email and you think of negative connotations. You think of work. You think of that sweet senior citizen in your life who keeps forwarding those weird chain letters things so that they welcome good luck. All of that is true. All of that is email. That's because for those people and those emails the E in email stands for electronic mail. So what if? What if the E stood for experience? What if it stood for event? What if it stood for excellence? Wouldn't that be exciting? Email doesn't have to be email. Does that make sense? Go to mysummerlair.com slash subscribe to sign up for the weekly pop culture My Pal Sammy newsletter. You will be elated you did. Thanks for listening to me in a Netflix world. Kimchi, yo.